Um, okay, so well, thank let's you. Talk, let's talk, let's talk about, about three albums. First things first, right, before we start, is anybody have any observations or criticisms very quickly? Because we need to condense this because everybody has a home to be at. We've missed out one album. One I think album. you'll find we probably missed out a few million albums, but yeah. The Atari's So Long Astoria. How do you know that neither of us are picking it? We're not. <laughs> None of us are picking it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a fucking great record, though. It was, That's a good album. Yep. Yeah, it's great. He's also a parody of a man. <laughs> <laughs> it's his massive tantrums on stage. He's fucking. He's, he's, he's brilliant. Album. Don McLean's cover of their song "Boys of Summer" is pretty good as well. Eh? Yeah, that's <laughs> alright. Yeah, totally. He thought about it like no, Don McLean. Like <laughs> it's Don Henley, is right. You started drinking the wine. And you're, you fucked yeah, up I mean, already, fucking, mate. Honestly, so I am on uh, a Malbec, which, to be honest, is probably as good as a uh, Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, on, the, on a scale of one to the most middle-class things that ever been said in this podcast, I think that's not right up there. <laughs> um, so, are there literally? There's only one criticism. Was do you have any idea how badly we did the last part of this show? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if this was about stuff that appeals to fucking dinosaurs like you and me, then they would get a lot more time. But unfortunately, this is about pop punk. Yeah, I mean, Zen Arcade, like, Turn on the Radio of Zen Arcade is a huge example of pop punk, yeah. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that album. What's yeah. you spoken about? Yeah, that? I mean, I think we laid out over the course of one very long hour and 50 minutes that they were not, in fact, the start of it. <laughs> but, you know, Kenny's allowed to say things like that because he's an elder statesman. Um, <laughs> The pop punk voices. The white. It's funny that you mentioned that because it may be discussed in the next. It's going to get a wee bit of kicking shortly. Yeah. Um, it was mentioned to me during the interval as well that we didn't mention when when I brought up the stupidity of Limp Bizkit. I never mentioned the stupidity of the Bloodhound Gang. I'm your biggest fan. I just wanted to ask, could I eat your ass right back as soon as you can? You've had a lot of dick. Who were pop punk in all but sound, really. Yeah. Everything about them was like a Blink-182 video. Um, I had a bad touch on single. I had the video as a CD-ROM extra. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah, the Bloodhound Gang were are a fantastic example of human progress. Um, okay, so we have picked, as you... If anyone's listened to the podcast before uh, and ever intends to listen to it again, um, we uh, usually pick an album each in these kind of mixtapes. So we have done just that. Um, now, Mark being the prime offender uh, as a pop punk fan, Mark, do you want to tell people what your album is? I picked Newfound Glory by Newfound Glory. <laughs> Newfound Glory's self-titled album. So anyone worrying if we're going to mention the stupid, annoying voice uh, immediately there? Yep. yep. David? Uh, I've gone for Pump Up the Valium by NoFX. <laughs> Did you see my song? 
no effects. Now, some people might say that it's not pop punk, but it is pop punk. So, uh, and I tried to fucking choose Jimmy Eat World, so I had to. <laughs> he did. He tried to choose something American, and you were like, no. Denied. Um, anyone worrying that we're not going to mention the annoying pop punk voice is at ease. Um, I have chosen uh, Ixney and the Hombre by Offspring. Um, the fourth album. Mm. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yes, um, we definitely will. So, yeah, I mean, without further ado, who, who based on the slideshow, which is definitely going to work this time, uh, is first? I believe it's me. It Mr. Weaver? David, no uh, Come on, I mean, man. I'm going to be shortest here because... They are. Uh, do you know what? It was the biggest bad catalog. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but I don't want to talk about NoFX too much, really. How, how um, many albums do NoFX have? About 15, I think. Hang on. First of all, how many tattoos does uh, Mark have? 13. 13. That's right. And that was actually guessed by a man in Australia. Um, yeah. so, so you'd also met me, funnily enough. Like, yeah, yeah, actually. Like, you know, like, you, it was like, for anybody that's heard the episode we did on Biffy Clyro, or the episodes we did on Biffy Clyro, where Craig Carrick had come over from Australia and sat in, I can only assume that when I was ripping into that fucking dog shit band, he was sitting there counting all the drawings on you. Yeah, he must have been. Because he almost got it. Um, but he chose uh, for the Nexus, which we'll do at the end, Angela Lansbury. So, uh, if you don't know who Angela Lansbury is, what the fuck have you been doing in your life? Um, <laughs> but <ooh. laughs> I, I have the shortest nexus. I mean, even by my standards, I've got the shortest nexus in existence for this one. That's ridiculous. Um, okay, so uh, no effects, David. Uh, right, so for me, it was quite difficult to choose an album, actually, because I never really listened to pop punk. <laughs> um, apart from the big hits. And, like, maybe to me, it's a genre that produces really fun songs and throwaway tracks but I found it really difficult to think of it as a record genre um, I mean Mark will probably disagree and many of you will probably disagree well. but it's you know even though I was in a band that covered a lot of these songs in high school. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, it's good, so, to, I mean, it's I know, good to have them back in the mix. I know all the tabs, but I don't give a shit about the records. Um, but I mean, that, I suppose that's kind of the pop part of it, is it's about that three minute or two and a half minute like one, adrenaline one rush of a song, uh, rather than a sort of artistic statement uh, of an album. Um, I think All Killer, No Filler is a very inappropriately named album by some 41 uh, <laughs> as is Half Hour of Power by some 41 uh, because there's really only about two or three good songs on each record I think that's a very inappropriate statement isn't <laughs> Mark do you like NoFX? No Alright <laughs> I actually didn't expect you to say that okay. No uh, yeah, we'll, so no, we'll talk about this in a minute <laughs> Yeah so NoFX were a band that my cousin Ian who introduced a lot of music to me somehow because he's from Orkney how did he have more music than I did I don't know <laughs> he just fucking spent his time talking to whales but yeah, yeah. Um, but he used to like come down he was the first per person that played Dookie to me he was the first person that I think played what Nevermind kind of to me. fucking vacuum is all Ness if he was the first person to play Dookie to you yeah, I know. Was he the first well person we didn't have a Woolies Orkney has a Woolies he was so. the first person to let you taste potatoes yeah <laughs> 
Well, he introduced me to a lot of things. Um, I don't want to know what that list entails. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, he was always really into like punk rock more than I was. I was always into metal, but he'd be into stuff like Lagwagon, Strung Out, uh, Mad Caddies. fucking loved Mad Caddies. Oh, yeah, Caddies. didn't mention them, huh? uh, And NoFX were his favourite band for, you know, his entire teenage years, I think. And I remember when Pump Up the Volume came out... Can we just stress, it spelled, by the way, it's spelled V-A-L-U-U-M, so they didn't get into legal jeopardy with Valium, um, which had actually happened to somebody... Was it Melvin's? I think it was Melvin's. Yeah, the Melvin's. Album called, yeah. yeah, Ellisol or uh-huh, Isol yeah. or something like that. So they changed the, the spelling. And there's, there's a song on it when they go on to talk about actually name drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you didn't really think about it that hard, did you? Anyway... Um, <laughs> but yeah for me like I don't know more than this the Taking Back Sunday or Sum 41 sort of stuff no effects kind of caught with me it had the hooky stuff it had the sing along bits but it, it was kind of a mix of still quite furious punk and also stupid and silly and I mean the record I've chosen there's at least two songs on it that are stupid no. very very stupid uh, and I mean, maybe offensive and <laughs> probably shouldn't be listened to yeah I mean in terms of the style of it like I agree no effects are a little bit more appealing they're basically like if bad religion were dropped on their head as babies mm-hmm. um, it's like similar sort of similar musical approach in their better moments just about stupid shit it's not like I know no effects that well, I've, but like I've listened to the discography, and it's not the classic no effects album. But this is unsung, so no. I mean, I saw that like again, kind of the listology approach to it. Like some most placed at top three. Um, well, no, that's, that's that's not true. About half placed this in their top three, and the rest had it sort of mid table. It is a wee bit divisive. Um, it was their last record in Epitaph, right before yeah. they yeah. went and started doing their own thing. It was quite like it was the first one with sort of quite slick production, as I understand it as well. Yeah, to um, me, it's the the most pop record. Uh, it's interesting. So, like, Punk and Drublick, Punk and Punk and Drublick, yeah, is the, the is one. the classic. Yeah. Uh, and then, I, like, I really like So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, I like I know that their like golden era is like during the nineties. There's like was it four albums during the nineties or something like that? Yeah, uh, that were like considered like their golden period. And the ska one was like so long and thanks for all the shoes. And this was the one that came after it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of dropped all that ska shit again. Um, and as a result, I, I I don't mind this as much because I'm really glad they dropped all that ska shit. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, let me ask a no effects expert. How much did I like this uh, that album so long? So long is the best no effects album. 
<laughs> so Long is apparently the best no effects album. It says one guy right at the, the, the door. Like the, the, seat, the seat nearest the fucking door is the only reason he had the courage to shout that fucking nonsense. All right. He also got tattoos in his head, mate, so you know. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, fuck Dave. That is, that is what that, go on. Yeah. Why well, are we talking about this? I, oh, I just think it's a really good record. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but it's got some fucking great songs on it. Um, I mean, it's, I, I, for I like, me, it's like they're most polished, but it works really well. There's a couple of tracks that are a bit stinking, maybe, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, m- maybe. I'll, uh, I've actually, all right, so this is old NoFX. So that's linoleum, isn't it? Yeah, it's a total bang. It's a total classic. <laughs> and uh, Not if you ask Kathleen Hanna. What's that? Oh, I don't know. Sucks air in through teeth. Uh, well, Kathleen Hanna and Big Fat Mike have been having a war of words, and linoleum was like the first time where she dissed them. Oh, I see. Uh, I don't know. I've lost my thread, sorry. But, oh, yeah, right, The Decline, though. That's a 20-minute punk rock song that they did just before Pump Up The Volume. It's actually fucking great. Um, so if we were doing 20 minute long songs I'd probably have chosen that oh, yeah, but I don't it. think Why it counts as an album that's yeah. um, yeah, the best NoFX song just not, not, not just because it's one big long song but it's, it's, a, it's a really great achievement it's, and he fucking hated making it as well because apparently it was really hard um, so yeah for me uh, Pump Up Volume if you listen to the discography like throughout the changes are never really huge but like this one kind of stands out for me in terms of its production, the songs, the choruses are great, and it's yeah, it's got an interesting mix between you know, uh, absolute nonsense, absolute nonsense, and some really good shit. Uh, I think the first track I heard from it was "Dinosaurs Will Die." And that's like an absolute classic. I mean, it's like the cheesiest chugga 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 riff. Absolutely, but ever. Th- that's the. I mean, the, the album opens with a song which talks about they're fucking repetitive, and I was always like, do the same shit over and over again. So yeah, I mean, like... the first track is called "And Now for Something Completely Similar," which basically sums up everybody they hates pop punk's opinions of all no effects. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they're taking the piss out of themselves there, and it's a reference back to punk and drublick. Yeah, th- like uh, dinosaurs uh, will die though. Like the, the the sentiment behind this, obviously, is like it's one of their most kind of charged songs in the sense that it's a critique of the rock industry but fuck man it's such a it's such a lame trite critique because this is the same thing like like Cobain like nine years prior was criticising the dinosaurs of the rock industry and saying that he wanted them to like die out but eventually they always just get 
all these songs, all these people like Tim Armstrong become the dinosaurs. Like like mm-hmm. fucking Fat Mike becomes the dinosaurs. They end up writing I mean, for pop acts and fucking selling stuff to twelve year old kids in the suburbs. It's he like never did though. Yeah, but No Effects are the band that never signed to a major label. Yeah, I know, but they're still fucking dinosaurs. They're still in their like mid forties. Hey, just because they're old doesn't mean they're dinosaurs, Christopher. Mate. You are. <laughs> If, if, you, if you're in your mid-40s and you haven't moved on and done something fucking more than sing uh, My Vagina's Got Lots of Extra Skin Hey, we'll come to that song we'll, we will, we'll come to that song We'll definitely, we'll definitely come to that song But I mean, he sings that Whatever Happened to Integrity Like, yeah, exactly what, that, The fucking pop punk scene's as guilty of that as anyone um, I just, yeah, it's, it's just a bit rich uh, I don't know, I think I think it sets out no effects as tall as a band really well I think because they, like they've said they're the band that never sold out like he's probably the only person that actually qualified to talk shit about people because he's fucking lived and done it all and he's still managed to make millions of fucking dollars just by being a guy who by his own by his own admission only ever gives the absolute most 60% when he plays live <laughs> He's wow. fucking Dawson through the entire thing. It's a whole thing. It's like one massive consequence of circumstance after another. Like, no effects shouldn't be the big band that they are. And he knows that. He's always known that because they're fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and they've always been ridiculous. And this yeah. song proves that when they want to do something that's actually quite good, they can they do it. But he just doesn't because he just doesn't really give a fuck. I think they just represent a synthesis of a very typical sound that is scattered across hundreds and thousands of bands in all sorts of venues. They just are like a good example or a good consistent example of that sound that allows people to get their teeth into it. But it's not a particularly challenging sound, it's not particularly anything sound, it's just they are the go-to example of that sound by default. I think they're big by default, at least now, maybe not early on. I mean, yeah, so much the fact draft. that they've kept going, but I mean, when this came out was, what, 2000? 2000. 2000. Um, so they weren't quite the elder statesmen, although they'd been around since the 80s. This record was still kind of vital, I felt. Um, anyway, I mean, Dinosaurs Will Die, even if you think the sentiment is lame, uh, I think the track still bangs. I take that back, actually. That was amazing. Um, so, uh huh. So, track, like. What's the matter with parents today? The third track. Mm-hmm. Dad and mom, what planet are you from? And what convinced you to pack up and leave? Doing drugs and asking me for hugs. What's the matter? He's, he's 33. That's, that's a well that he goes to a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so weird. He's got like, family's got a lot of weird quirks in his songwriting, none of which I particularly like, um, and this is one of them. But I kind of like it. I don't know. I think it's, it's quite a, it's quite a funny story. I think I, thought, yeah. I don't know. It just appealed to me. I don't know why. I, I don't really like North like, that much. It's but. a funny story in the same way as you remember that episode of The Simpsons where they make short films and there's a man getting hit in the crotch by football. Uh-huh. It's it's that kind of funny story. And um, yeah, I'm I sorry. Mean, did you have a point? <laughs> um, I mean, take two placebos and call me lame. The second track. Sleep, it's going up for sale. As soon as it gets saved, 
Kind of, I think, epitomises what I hear when I hear 90% of pop punk, which is just this indistinguishable mulch of like. It's not that I don't like the style of the playing. I do like the style of playing. I like the style of playing in Bad Religion, especially where they diversify the chords they go to. They go to minor things. It's a little bit more angular. I think there's just it's so predictable in terms of the, the the chord changes in it. In terms of even just the harmony patterns, there's just like there's a, a pop punk harmony that no effects absolutely cemented and it's just mm. the go-to pop-punk harmony it, you know it's just so fucking apparent before they even do it that that's what's going to happen and this album is rife with those moments and it's it's not even that like fucking hate it it's just that there's no emotional connection to it whatsoever it's just a totally emotionally dead fucking sound for me i just don't see how anybody feels anything based on a track like that it's like completely fucking wasted noise. And yet you knew it was coming because the first track told you it was going to happen. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But just because a shit knows it's a shit doesn't mean it doesn't stink. <laughs> True. Uh, Bottles to the Ground is a good song. It's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a lyric booklet for this song at the end has one more time uh, so he's ball to the ground times 100,000 because <laughs> it just goes on forever it keeps on going forever <laughs> uh, yeah I mean clearly we need we need to condense this so can we just get to fucking Louise please uh, Louise uh, no let's talk about my vagina <laughs> yeah let's talk about that one instead Well, there you go. No, and that's, that's that. So what I've written here is terrible. That's all. Let's move on. No need, no point. Get, but it, that's... To, get it to fuck. <laughs> let's never think of this again. But the thing yeah, is, sure. you just played the thought-provoking verse. It's the uh-huh. verses after that where it gets really stupid. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I Fat Mike is a king of stupid, man. Like, I mean, are, I mean, that is not as bad as Louise, though. Yeah, I mean, there's two awful, you know awful songs. Like, so, like, yeah. My Vagina... Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> my Vagina is number 12. Um, but... Uh, Number seven is Louise, and I think the thing about Louise, I mean, my vagina is clearly stupid. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is a soundbite that <laughs> anyone I know can use as a ringtone the next time. <laughs> but um, Louise has an element to it that I kind of, this is the thing that nerves me about it a wee bit, is that I get the vibe that he gets a little bit of a kick singing it. Like, there's a little bit of... I don't mean, like, a funny kick. I mean, like, a little bit of gratification. Like, treat my clit like bubblegum. Lick my puss and asshole clean. One in her ass and one in her cunt. When he's saying it, there's something about that tune that when I'm listening, I'm like, man, he gets a little bit of a little tingle in his willy when he's singing that. And, no, I mean it, like, in a way, I'm like... In a bad way. It's shabby as fuck it's yeah. like it's part of that like year 2000 fucking shabby shit that went on in this this genre yeah um, and yeah I don't know I think I just fucking find that really off-putting like I don't yeah, find yeah I mean that... totally I remember 
when I've heard that song when I was 15, I, I thought, oh, that song's cool because it says cunt. <laughs> uh, and now you hear it and you're like, oh, that's really quite terrible. <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, it's a... It's a fucking 33-year-old. Uh, it's bad, <laughs> I know. Singing to 12-year-old kids and he knows it. And he knows he's selling that album partly because they're like titillated by the fact that it's got these words and these kind of sentiments on it. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking lame. It's yeah. so lame. But even, but it's the, even, even the cover of that album looks like the kind of thing that like Adam Jones from Tool would do while he was like picking his nose and eating it. Uh-huh. Like, it's so fucking stupid. Uh-huh. Well, that's my record. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention Hero, Hero Joanna, which I think is the best song on the record. Hero Joanna is great. I really like that track. And then also, uh, Clams Have Feelings too. actually, they don't, uh, has the worst track name, but it's actually a really good track. Clams. Really good song. Clams. Clams. C-L-A-M-S. Yeah, they have feelings. And you're a vegan, you know that they are technically, as bivalves, you can Yeah, because they don't have a spinal cord, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot of vegans would eat Oh, I don't care. (laughs) Right, anyway. Hey, anyway. Vegans care, all right? (laughs) Uh, Right. So, uh, yeah, that's my record. Um, I actually think it's got some really good tunes on it. No Effects are kind of the band that never sold out. They don't... It's not a genre I give yeah. a shit about. <laughs> they didn't sell out, but they went well into their 40s singing about vaginas. To I, I wanted to do boys. Jimmy World, but you wouldn't let me. So yeah, that's true. It's just a fucking little yeah. tantrum. Yeah, exactly. No Effects is your tantrum. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think the thing with No Effects is that it's all based on nostalgia. I think there's like a wee illicit buzz of being a kid and snarking at it and snarking at the lyrics. But... Uh, yeah, I just think the, the tunes are like really interchangeable. I know they've got a few standout songs, but I just think so much it is so interchangeable. Not just interchangeable with themselves, but like Pepsi Challenge with any number of other fucking bands as well. It's the sound that is most readily imitated in that genre, and I just it, it's just a total fucking shrug. As as I'm not a, I'm not a massive NoFX fan, but I know I, I do know quite a lot about them. Um, just through circumstance and people that I, that I know. Um, I think it's really interesting because the record after this is a war on errorism, right? And it comes after 9-11 and he, like Fat Mike set up Punk Vore and it was all about Rock Against Bush. That was like his big thing, right? And they've never really went back to the well of complete pure old juvenile stuff since, since I bet he only did Rock Against Bush so he could make it like a pun on vaginas he didn't though that's the thing like they, they've always been a lot more serious since then not 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 completely serious but they've never really go back to that well ever since this record and I think this this record sits at an interesting in an interesting period for them for what it's worth I don't think like I think the unsung no effects record is probably Wills and Wills Clothing from 2006 It's a bit long, but I think it's got a lot more, a lot more songs than other. That, that was pretty high in the, on the list. Um, well. And yeah. the fact that it comes solely on in a career which is patchy at absolute best is. If I ever invent a time machine, I'm going back to 1988, and I'm going to hide all the copies of Suffer in uh, Fat Mike's hometown. All right, who's next? Me. 
This is a banger. It's newfound glory. Yeah, so I've actually got a whole bunch of discography shit in here, which we can probably go over. We can probably not bother with. There's a lot of good songs in newfound glory, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit about the band itself. Uh, they've, they've always been the same kind of four people. Originally, there were five, Dave. Originally, there were five people in the band, Dave. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. There they are. <laughs> uh, so you had, you had Jordan, you had uh, Steve, you had Chad on guitar, bass, and Cyrus. <laughs> He's Cyrus. such a Steve. Right. <laughs> yeah, that guy with the colour hoodie on is definitely a Steve. Uh, they're now a four-piece. He's, he's no longer, he's no longer go. in the band. Um, it's a visual gag there. Yeah. There's a reason he's no longer in the band, Dave. Uh, why is that? Um, because he's a nonce. Uh, basically, in, uh, in 2013, he was uh, charged with two counts of lewd conduct with a minor and a whole, whole various other offences. Now, his lawyers came out and said that um, it was an embittered ex-wife that made this happen. Dave, he's a nonce? <laughs> question mark? <yeah. laughs> it's a question mark. But I was actually in research on this today, and ever since the court case happened, there's been no news on it at all. I don't know what the fuck's going on there, man. But after he left, they got shit, which is a total bummer. <laughs> I don't think you should choose bummer in that. <laughs> I think that was poorly chosen. Yeah, it's very poorly chosen. Or was it? Anyway, yeah, let, let's move on. Right, okay, so this is the album we're talking about. So, right? like, see, straight um, off the bat, I know this is unsung, but that's the only Newfound Glory album cover I know. Yeah, so the, the, the most sung record, The Sticks and Stones, the one after this. I think this this record. The reason I picked this record is because I think it's um, one of the most influential pop punk records that is um, of the later the later kind of era of pop punk. Um, I'm not a massive Newfound Glory fan. I have to be honest. I like a lot. I think they're a fucking great singles band. I think they're really really good. At, That's because his voice is like hearing your parents fuck in the next bedroom. Yeah, yeah and maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's what some of the videos that he had were, um, but no, it's interesting you mention that. That's actually a thing called the California Shift, which is a huge thing in pop-up music in general. Um, basically, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a lot of bands that weren't even from California would then use this so-called like affectation on their vocals. I mean, they're from Florida, right? So like, why he's even got that sound like from a sort of regional point of view is. Obviously, Mate, there were fucking possible. bands yeah. from Denny that had that's that what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. So it's a total Falker. like it's not a regional dialect thing. It's just a thing which is which we kind of started in California in terms of like moving some vowel sounds around to make this kind of kind of weird Californian dialect. But then other bands started incorporating that had no had like like no no reason doing it. But you know? the same thing happened mm. with grunge. The same thing happened with the totally, hard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. open vowel sounds as, as we learned yeah. in our, our live episode. Yeah. But yeah, it's the, Cal- the California shift is a huge thing. Um, it's often called the Cot and Cot merger, so C O T with C A U C A U G H T, and uh, it's just where they, they pronounce the words slightly differently and put the accent on it in a different place. And a lot of these bands do that. A lot of pop punk bands do that. Even Fat Mike does that. But I mean, he's from California, but he, even even he wasn't immune to it because um, he certainly didn't start off singing like that. Um, so yeah, that's why the annoying voice thing is that is so prominent in, in pop punk because it seems to have come from this whole kind of Gilman Street era, or like imitating all the sound of these bands from from the early nineties. Um, A badge of authenticity. Yeah, not so much, I suppose. 
anymore, but I suppose they the kind time. of felt it was. Yeah, like this is this makes us out as being like the real deal. Um, one of the reasons that I picked no, that I picked Muth and Glory because they weren't originally my, my my choice. I was actually going to go with a no use for a name record. Actually, actually, what do that? Then you realise we'd have to talk about Foo Fighters. Yes. Yeah. It's, not, it's, yeah. not, it's not a good thing. Yeah. That's because the guitarist in Foo Fighters was a guitarist and used for a name um, originally, in case you didn't know why he made that reference. Um, I mean, no, Newfound Glory epitomise, I just don't fucking get this music at all. So, the, just Newfound Glory were all hardcore kids and they all grew up listening to hardcore, and, but they also liked Green Day. Yeah. And they started making music which sounds like this. The reason they I took like, the worst bits of both. <laughs> oh, you could say that. I mean, they, they, they were responsible for Easy Core. I mean, no, like, honestly, like, no effects was kind of really samey, I think. This album is fucking torture. Like, I it's, think it's actually <laughs> fucking torture. I think this is the most consistent record. I, I like the fact that guitars sound like hardcore guitars and don't sound like pop punk guitars. I didn't bring it, but at um, home I've got an A4 bit of paper that just says, I want you to die, Mark. <laughs> Do you, I think you just look at that every night. Did you write that? Look at the back of the start it's of this been about a while. Yeah. <laughs> I get rid of it and I get a new one. Um, no, this is the first time I've genuinely meant it, though. <laughs> well, that's good to know because, oh shit, your album. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the the best singles of this band are on this, um, Dress to Kill and Hit or Miss. It's also in the middle, it's Sincerely Me as well. He's a lovely, anybody, lovely man, right? If, but I will not on. deny the fact that his face is infinitely punchable. <laughs> uh, but that's an example of like a pop punk song, which is really, even to this day, the, the whole bands that we're talking, we were talking about earlier on, which are you know popping up now or popped up in the last five or ten years, are still copying the structure, which basically No Effects started. Oh, definitely. Um, like, and, and not No Effects, New Thing Glory started yeah. um, because that's the key thing, right? The Offspring and the Green Day and stuff for like that, yeah, like they, they made the music big, right? But the structure for the the pop punk that exists now lies with this record, and I think it's the best example of that. Um, it's, it's been so copied so much now to the point where it, it becomes a wallpaper. Like, and I can totally understand why I don't like it mm-hmm. um, because it does sound like everything you've ever fucking I mean, heard. To be fair, as well, like Mussolini laid the template for fascism, but it mean <laughs> and yet somehow no, some people still think not going to be like. So I mean, I guess we should probably put it into the canon then. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people think we may be a white power podcast these days. So yeah, <laughs> we got a review which uh, spoke about about that. Yeah, apparently one of the biggest attributes of this podcast is that I frequently refer to either Nazism or white supremacy. So. Yeah, yeah, I'll try and shoehorn that in later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I think this. I think the singles in this record, "Dress to Kill," "Hit or Miss." Um, they're really good examples of pop punk songs and there's some songs where you can see them bring in a hardcore a lot of hardcore kind of stuff can you see, see hit or miss mm-hmm. I feel like um, the overlapping word thing in, in the chorus is the only point in this album where I'm like I see what they're doing like mm-hmm. I see why people are really into that one bit it's about 
four to five seconds long, but I get it, they keep doing it, and it makes for a moment in the chorus that you're like, this registers as something identifiable and you can latch on it, and it is quite hooky, like it's quite a clever idea that they've done in that, but it's one of the only points in this album where there's an idea that jumps out as being genuinely worthy of, wow, okay, that's going to stick in my fucking head. Yeah, like, I think... I'm not picking this record because I think it's a wall. I don't, I'm, not thinking, I'm not picking it because I think it's like the best example of pop punk. It's not. I just think that not enough credit is given to this band for the things that, for better and for worse, which then later went on to happen. Yeah, but I mean, this. Yeah, okay. This this band deserves some credit, but that's kind of like saying Prince Andrew is very attentive to his kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say because it will ruin the surprise of your record. <laughs> um, but I think an interesting, interesting fact about Hit or Miss is the first song they ever wrote. It's also the riff from What's My Age Again. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> totally is. Um, an American, American Pie, pie core. <laughs> um, but it does have uh, interesting things on I think Vegas which is a really good pop punk song bridging hardcore before easycore was a, was a true thing um, Boy Crazy is really catchy song itself is like a massive like lampoon and the whole American Pie idea of like oh man like why do these girls fucking hate me because they're all bitches which I think at a time when everybody was writing songs like that I think was a very interesting thing for them to do clearly they were paying attention to what was going on and do you think the audience got it? I, <laughs> do I don't think, know do you I think, think the pop audience at the time I think were so, so because fucking they, they, they always so tuned play, in they always play live I think they got it like I think really? yeah uh-huh. and they're fucking tremendous live they're one of the best live bands I've ever seen they're, they're unbelievably good life. But you think their their subtle use of irony yeah. was was really what the audience of two thousand? I don't think maybe not two thousand, but I think now, yeah, um, it's, it's very clear. It's even got the samples and stuff at the start, you know. But no, I just think this record's started to be really good songs. It's a sh- it's a really short record which I like, so it kind of plays the whole pop punk hardcore thing really well. Um, and I, I think as 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 an example of an unsung pop punk record, I think this is one of the best ones. It is pop punk. There's no denying it is, that. It is a record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's. My well, we case. get to vo- the audience get to vote for yeah. this after. So mm-hmm. that's, that's right. So next up, Christopher, what right. have you got? I've picked Ixney and the Hombre by Offspring because not all pop punk is bad. There were two good, and um, Offspring's one of them. Weirdly, Offspring started in like 1984, which is kind of strange because I think most people obviously think that Offspring started just shortly before Smash landed, yeah. and that's not the case at all. Um, it's like obviously Dexter Holland, Noodles, Greg Kay, uh, Ron Welty, who wasn't the original drummer, but I think he was the longest serving one at about 16 years. Uh, they started the band after hearing the TUSOL album Change Today, and I think those kind of older influences were always there with Offspring. Mm-hmm. They're quite skate punky, they're quite authentic. They've got like a really big bad religion element to their music early on. In fact, David, the first album, I think there's a clip on there of a track called Jennifer Lost the War. Yeah. 
So, like, early on they had, like, some quite strong political themes in the stuff. I mean, that, that track's quite political. It's somewhere between early Bad Religion and, like, the early, early Green Day stuff. It's got that kind of mix of, like, the 1039 Green Day, but slightly more political stuff of Bad Religion. Yeah, I mean, I think the sound is consistent with where some of the, the later tracks ended up. Um, weirdly, they actually went on tour for six weeks with that album, and the tour ended when uh, Noodles, the guitarist, was stabbed during an anti-nuclear benefit gig. In, I think it was in Hollywood, actually. Um, they released a tra- an album called Ignition in 91. And like they were touring with Pennywise at the time, um, I think it kind of sounds like that. It's kind of much more in keeping with that co- more earnest. It's a bit more serious. It's like it's a lot more serious than No Effects, for example. Um, they, they toured that album for a year and a half. There's tighter songwriting on it. The choruses do give some clues. There's a lot of like oohs and ahs that come in. Quite a bad religion kind of vibe. Um, they, they suggest that they were going in a more songwriting direction, but yet they're still like very, very skate punk. I mean, uh, it's interesting you didn't pick Dirty Magic has been a sample from that record uh, no I mean I just think we are the ones it's, mm. it's a good that, the way that chorus comes in it has that element of like they knew how to broaden the scope um, yeah it actually had the same producer as their debut as a guy called Tom Wilson who'd worked with Dead Kennedys and the Vandals and Social Distortion as well they fell out with him I believe just before Smash but in 1994 like, as we've mentioned a few times now this album called Smash came out um, sold 16 million copies now it's the biggest ever independent album Uh, and yeah and it was after this that they signed to Columbia I think there were a few sort of disagreements between them and Epitaph they weren't happy with the way it was handled oh that's that's putting it lightly Um, it was I actually caught these guys on like a late night TV show I was really young at the time and I remember catching uh, the video for Gotta Get Away and it was a bit of a fucking wow moment like I was really taken aback by it now the track Self Esteem is like a total alt-rock cash-in. This is when they had a few songs through their career that were clearly modelled on that Smells Like Teen Spirit verse chorus big construct thing Same um, chord progression, smells like things better. 
but Gotta Get Away and a lot of the tracks around it on Smash are really, really fucking good. I mean, it's, it's a really strong record. It's a little bit long, um, but it's really fucking good. And it certainly wasn't anticipated how big that album was going to land, but it landed really fucking huge. You might have also noticed that he's got uh, cornrows, mm-hmm. white cornrows in that last video, uh, which I think you'll agree is pretty fly for a white guy. Uh, yeah, Funnily much. enough, after their next album, Mixing the Hombre, which I'm going to talk about, they released an album called Americana. The biggest single off that was Pretty Fly for a White Guy. There was also Why Don't You Get a Job, which was pretty huge, and The Kids Aren't Alright, which was a lot more in keeping with the Smash stuff. Pretty Fly was actually number one in nine countries, including the UK. It was pure wee guy fodder, because that's the one that got me by the record when I was 12. So, uh, actually, the band appeared in Idle Hands, which, again, at the interval, a couple of people were mentioning that a lot of these bands, it wasn't just American Pie, it was horror films, it was any sort of teen movies. I think there was, like, a punk band. Was it, What one were Real Big Fish in? Anybody remember? Basketball. Basketball. Uh, so, Real Big Fish were in basketball. There was somebody oh, yeah. in... Um, Clueless, that's it. Mighty Mighty Boston's were in Clueless as well. So there's a lot of these kind of like cameos by these kind of bands. Um, Americana sold way more than 10 million copies. Pretty Fly sort of marks a point as well where I think the offspring realised they could really play for hits and goofs. They mm-hmm. could go for these sort of silly songs instead of like their more kind of straight down the line tunes. Um, I saw them at Redden on that tour actually. <laughs> Redden, Terrorvision, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Silver Chair, Fun Loving Criminals, um, <laughs> I'll hit Feeder, Chemical Brothers, Charlatans, Catatonia and Reef almost none of whom I watched. I, did I see think I just fell asleep when you were saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I did see Sebado, I did see Idlewild early on, I did see Atari Teenage Riot at 11 in the morning with the worst hangover ever. Um, I did also see Pennywise closing uh, the punk stage just after his brother had died and they were touring full circle and they had every band on stage singing the bro hymn and people like hanging from the rafters and stuff. That was pretty amazing. That's awesome. Um, and then in 2000 they brought out Conspiracy of One which we had mentioned uh, was sort of uh, money was going to the guy uh, Sean Fanning it was of Napster um, and Original Prankster and Want You Bad were big singles in that I'm sure we remember them all too well <laughs> Um, they play uh, the radio my, they play Absolute Radio my work and the original prank, Prankster is still played on the radio to this day yeah so but going back to 1997 this album Exney and the Hombre came out and the Smash had sold 16 million records um, and Americana sold 10 nearly 11 million records they sold four, which mm. although four million would still technically be up there with like the likes of Live Through This in terms of like the biggest selling albums that we've got in fact I think it's bigger than Live Through This um, it's nothing for a band that just sold 16 million albums and we're like at the forefront of this explosion of pop punk, especially given that Green Day then perpetuated that. Um, so it's kind of odd that it didn't do so well and it was trying to work out why it didn't do so well. Um, by the way, the name apparently means fuck the man, more or less in Pig Latin. The album started to move away from political themes. I mean, they weren't exactly massively engaged in political themes, but it moved away from them a bit more. 
given that they had the potential to do this really big selling record here on the back of Smash, it, it really isn't what I would have expected. It doesn't have, for example, like a Pretty Fly. It, uh, maybe they weren't there yet, but it, it seems a bit muddled because it's much more of a... It's got a lot more in common with Ignition uh, on the album tracks, certainly. It does have a couple of big alt-rock tracks on it, but it reminds me a wee bit of what Green Day did when Green Day brought Insomniac out in the back mm -hmm. of Dookie. It was like they didn't know what to do. They put out what was basically a good punk rock record again, like really yeah. tuneful, with a couple of big moments that were obviously trying to be a single, but they didn't really know what to do with that. Um, it started with that disclaimer thing as well that had Jello Biafra on it. Meaning of Life was the, the a single off it, and a really big opener for, for any album. It's such a fucking iconic bit of music. And the third track in it, Mota, which... Hang on a sec, can we talk a little bit about Meaning of Life just for a wee second? Yeah, sure. I got this album for my Christmas like when I was like 13 right? and I used to play it in the car all the time when I was with my dad and I used to think that he was saying Boney M <laughs> in the chorus yeah it's a weird kind of amorphous word that's yeah. in the chorus eh? yeah, I think it's whoa yeah but he's I like, think it's just whoa yeah, yeah. Is, is he is he Boney M I was like no not that <laughs> I was 13 and I fucking know that you're wrong shut the fuck up and get yeah. back in your box um, yeah so Mota was the third track in this um, which wasn't a single and given how fucking catchy a tune it is. It's kind of weird that it wasn't. So it has like a really big kind of gang, kind of doubled singing thing in it. It's got the intro, I actually thought this could have been the intro, uh, the, the kind of drum. It could have been the opening track for this record. It's, it's really catchy in that way. Um, they followed that with a track called Me and My Old Lady, which had these great kind of, the offspring used to do these really modal sort of like bluesy surf rock kind of chords. That track was a good example of that. Cool awful hate. song. I actually don't think so. Um, I'll, I'll let you chorus in it. Um, cool to Hate is a super punky one for them. Did they write that about you? Sorry? Did they write that about you? <laughs> cool to Hate. Yeah. yeah. What's it like to have a song written about you? Um, the sixth track, Leave It Behind, uh, wasn't a single. This is, I think, probably the best track on the record. Really bad religion, really appeals to that, that, that side of me. It's quite quite angsty. You know, the chord progressions are not the chord progressions of no effects, and that that is a big difference for me. Like I really fucking look for that something a bit more dynamic. There's Gone. a lot of Eastern stuff on this record as well. They always use Eastern scales and the they do, stuff. They, which yeah, they a use lot a lot of Eastern scales, which is quite a surf rock thing as well. Mm. Like it's it's quite a lot in keeping with that and the whole kind of Mexican vibe, surf rock vibe, the Eastern scales. That's that's all kind of gave them a little bit of identity the other bands didn't have. And um, you played a little tiny moment of what we'll play in a second but Gone Away was their attempt to emulate self-esteem from Smash on this to make basically a giant alt-rock anthem this song basically sounds like Teen Spirit played by Simple Minds there's something really big in the production of it
So it's like a fucking giant cheesy alt rock song. And would it have been a more punk record without it? Absolutely. But it wouldn't have been a better pop record without it. Um, and I think they kind of knew that. It's, that was like one of the main accessible pop moments on it. There's a few songs in this that are proper, like Stone Temple Pilots meets Jane's Addiction kind of stuff. Like, Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's one more that I'll definitely call that on. Um, I Choose, after that, was another really good-natured one. I think they got the idea really from Green Day. Like, I Choose is a bit more in keeping with some of the more upbeat moments on Dookie. Uh, there's an intermission again with Jello Biafra. Uh, the track, track 10, All I Want, is like a really big uh, moment on this album. Like, a v- one of the songs that really brought me into Offspring after Smash. Like, like one of the things I love about them is they don't go for the obvious harmonies as well. The step down harmony in the background, they're going for the lower register. It's again a very bad religion approach to harmonising. I just think it made the band so much more interesting than their contemporaries. It was so so much less cheesy. Um, Way down the line had a big Dropkick Murphys vibe in it. That kind of big sing along gang chant thing. Track 12, Don't Pick It Up, is a fucking weird one. Right, can can you stick us on? Because this is basically the seed of what would go on to be Pretty Fly and Original Prankster. So that's a song about a kid picking up shit and eating it because it looks like a candy bar. Mm-hmm. And the second verse is about getting VD. And I think <laughs> it's, it's truly like the one. issues that we could connect yeah, to. Yeah, they are absolutely things that we've all faced. In See, before time. you move on, can you, just re- can you just read what I've written for that song? Absolutely fuck this song. <laughs> oh, well, you don't like that song? No, no he doesn't. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the offspring engaging with that scatology thing that was going on in the pop in the pop punk scene at the time and I wish they fucking hadn't um, it, it's, as ska songs go as ska infused songs go it's alright musically it's stupid as fuck and it also I think they stumbled across the fact that it was those kind of dumb as fuck songs that were really connecting live mm-hmm. or connecting with kids especially and that's what led to them like okay let's stop trying to write grunge anthems let's write these dumb fucking tunes like Pretty Fly and Original Prankster and that was kind of the genesis mm-hmm. of that aspect of the band I mean that was a, an attempt to recreate a track I think called What in the World Happened to You from mm-hmm. Smash yeah. Um, but it just got stupider and stupider as they realised they would get more sales, single sales especially, from these idiotic songs than they would from the kind of proper ones. Um, the track after this as well is the other end of the Offspring scale, which is a track called Amazed. And trust me, I've fucking dabbled with Bush. <laughs> I mean in the Gavin Rossdale sense. And the next track actually sounds astonishingly like Bush. I 
even the vocal even the fucking vocal exactly no totally and <laughs> this is the thing about Offspring so in this album alone they've got basically 10 fucking great songs in this album a stupid as fuck song and two grunge songs that didn't need to be there yeah. and I've lost count oh there's one that's like a fucking voiceover so I think like that part of it it's like it's really annoying because I don't think they knew what they were going to do there was obviously pressure for them to keep the sales up well after. that's what I think this album sounds like is like a band that aren't quite sure what to do next yeah, totally. because we're following us, they're following the biggest independent album of all time yeah. 60 million sales are like should we put big singles in this what are the big singles and the problem is the best tracks in this get completely overlooked because mm. the songs that stand out are, are mostly stinking like the three songs that I've highlighted are probably three of the best known songs in this album and they're fucking terrible mm-hmm. whereas the rest of the album's fucking great it's a really really good like adrenalised melodic sort of downbeat vaguely political punk rock album it's really accessible um, I also liked, by the way, just the fact that the end, the last track, "Change the World," this, the riff they use is the riff that's the outro from Smash, and yeah, it it's a secret sh- track in Smash. Yeah, yeah, it shows the kind of continuity that they had. And then see the song Pay the Man, the last song on Americana. They actually use a bit of Smash from that, a bit of a song for Smash on that as well. And they, they recorded it in these sessions and then put it on that record. Right. So they're clearly still there thinking like a about that. Thing. that I mean, album. I think like obviously four million sales, it's massive, but everything's relative. And I think it yeah. was a quarter of the sales of the, the previous album and a third of the sales of the album that followed it. They totally dwarf it. Um, even though I would say as a record, it's probably better overall than Smash. It certainly sounds more evolved. Uh, maybe not quite as primitive, but uh, and like I said. I draw this the insomniac parallels as well where it's like a band not really knowing what to do and accidentally bringing out something that was really fucking good even if it didn't commercially connect um, I think I probably played that as much if not more than Smash over the time I had it although I will admit I didn't quite get that kind of revelatory goosebumps thing that I got when I heard when I saw the video for Gotta Get Away but tracks like Mota All I Want Leave It Behind are like what Offspring do best uh, a slightly more accessible version of Badge Religion you know infused with some of Green Day's kind of lighter vibes and I think Green Day aside they were as overtly pop as I was willing to get into with punk rock music which has probably been pretty obvious I think the quality of the bulk of their songs especially the the punkier album tracks has endured way better than the other records nominated here I don't think No Effects has, has aged particularly well um, I definitely don't think Newfound Glory sounds good now um, if it ever did and I think this is like an album that I've bonded with more than most over people that I don't really know where they're coming from musically and then I'm like oh tell me something you like that is like a little bit shameful I'm like I fucking love Ixney and the Hombre like oh man that is a fucking great record yeah I really got into that as well Mm -hmm. and I tend to find I have a lot more in common with those folk when they're from that position so I think that kind of signifies that there is something to it that for some reason kind of slipped between the cracks so yeah I get behind it um, it's definitely not perfect there's at least three or four songs that are pretty bad but there's about ten nine or ten that are really pretty strong okay that's interesting I uh, I love the fuck out of this record when I got it I thought it was better than Americana which was the only other offspring record that I had 
going back and listening to it for this podcast, it, a lot of it was really MOR for me. Uh, it just didn't sit well with me at all. Also, production is fucking horrible. Yeah, the, I think a production was one of the main reasons why yeah, it, everything is quite, so loud on it. Yeah. I don't have a problem with the production. Nah, well. I don't like it at all. But no, nah, it's got some really good tracks on it. I, I just felt it was kind of unfocused. Yeah, but I, it's I not a bad record. Mm. But it's like I can see why it didn't sell nearly as many as Smash because it wasn't like this clear thing. It was just like, oh shit, what are we doing? We'll try a few things and yeah. But yeah, it's a good record. Well, anyway, guess we got to find out. Um, right. Well, I guess first of all, we'll take a straw poll here. Um, we're kind of getting close to the end, so we'll take a poll of. Can we get a show of hands for no effects? That's fine. I don't ah. Guy okay, nearest two, the door. Two. Guy <laughs> nearest the door and one other. <laughs> uh, show of hands for newfound glory. That's oh, there's one, one two. two. And a show of hands for offspring. Oh, okay. I'll go. give you that. That's, I would say that is that's, that's probably like, a that, win, isn't it? That's the majority yeah. of the audience. Okay. That is, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think also what we can now do, we'll do the next eye, which are quite brief. Uh, but are there any questions for the shit that we've spoken, other than when can I get the bus? Yes. Where is the microphone? At the back. Just curious, you avoided Jimmy Burns because I recognised him. Uh huh. I fucking hate the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, hang on. In a nutshell, we spoke about Jimmy Eat World. This gentleman hates the track "The Middle." Uh-huh. Um, but loves Jimmy Eat World. Uh, do we think that September 11th split pop punk culture? Um, I would. I would say yeah. Actually, I think that like we would be talked about 1999, 2000 uh, specifically being like reveling in fucking stupidity and inanity. And if you think about that, and the movies and the tone of the culture at that point, it was. Fucking dumb. It was it was hip to be dumb. Um, even if you were being ironic, I think even the the blurred the lines between irony, who was being ironic and who wasn't. And September 11th, for a lot of different industries and creative outlets, was a watershed moment because that really focused people. They realised that yeah, I don't know. There was a gravitas to what to what they were doing. What, what do you think? I think uh, in terms of culture, I definitely agree, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, Obviously, Jimmy Earl's album was like directly affected by 9/11, and um, yeah, it was called Bleed American. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And then it was or renamed. the single was called Bleed American, right? Oh, the album was called Bleed American as well. Yeah, and it was re- that was re- the single was renamed Salt Sweat Sugar, and the album was, was renamed Self Titled, uh, but it's now obviously all available online as Bleed American. Um, and I think that it also changed them as a band as well. Like the next record was a band called, an album called Futures, you know. And I think. After 9-11 and, and music, particularly punk and, and alt-rock music and, and that kind of whole vein, you, you were getting two different things after that. You were getting either really political music, like NoFX went on to do, or you were getting pure escapism, like Mike and McCromance, like Taking Back Sunday. You were getting like stuff which was like Halcyon Days, or you were getting stuff which is like, fuck the man, this is all totally bullshit. Jimmy World were never really properly political, but their next record, Futures, is quite political. I mean, would you, it's got songs on it. Uh, about voting and stuff like that, but it's also got songs which are deeply, deeply escapist as well. No, it's um, interesting, like you're talking about the the, pol- the polarization of like um, escapism versus engagement. Is is that what you're getting at? Escapism versus engagement, or yeah, um, Dave, what do you think? I know that was before Mark said that. That's what I was thinking. It was like you could see NoFX went down and did the Rock Against Bush, and they were really sort of. 
uh, politicised, and then you saw bands like I don't know, fucking All American Rejects, and they're just going like pure bubblegum escapism, and yeah, that's it. Kind of split it down those two routes. Mm, that's an interesting point. All right, so who's next? <laughs> she fucking she 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 fucking caveat. She fucking hates pop punk. <laughs> so this might be for me. <laughs> Two things, two things, just to, to bring up the speed. So it's a sausage fest. It's a sausage fest. And at times, not just a sausage fest, but actually quite uh, actively unpleasant. Yeah. And there's a story. Oh, yeah, I know the story. That's good. Sasha. No effects will never play Scotland. Is that true? That's true. That's true. Yep. yep. Fucking hell. Okay. This is new to me. <laughs> it shows you how thoroughly I research these subjects. <laughs> Two thousand and one. So, no effects are banned from Scotland basically because they got battered, self-imposed. Oh, because they got absolutely battered for stealing beer off the stage crew. I feel like oh, they, were, they, were told, they were told by the Blue Angels if they come back, they'll get killed. Great. The Blue Angels. The Blue Angels, yeah. Uh-huh. They seem like the kind of people that help the homeless at night. What the fuck is the Blue Angels? <laughs> I, I They're legal. Uh, in terms of like your previous point, I yeah, definitely. I yeah. feel like it's a genre that is very uh, quite often um, starts off with teenage boys singing about how difficult life is being a teenage boy, and then when that becomes successful and a major label funds that they're told oh that narcissistic you know shit is really worthy and then that's kind of in its worst is why it's uh, quite horrible if you you spend your teenage years hearing women called bitches because they broke your heart and wouldn't sleep with you or said no to you I mean it's it's not even it's not even like saying that's close to being an incel. That is being an incel. Yeah. You know, like, if the... I was fift- <laughs> when I was fifteen and a girl broke my heart and I went, "Oh, I f- what an arsehole!" Uh, <laughs> I got over that because I was uh, I became an adult. <laughs> but if somebody had come in and said, "Oh, here's a million quid. Why don't you sing about that exact feeling?" Then I wouldn't have gotten over it. What you should have done was what Kenny did in the eighties, which was probably a woman won't sleep with me. I'm an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other questions? Why was there no AFI? No AFI because we've already had an AFI record uh, yeah. in the discography. Pay attention, man. So Mark's <laughs> already is, is he, is got a, that in there early. Is AFI pop punk? Yeah, I'd say so. No. It's like gothy pop punk. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I guess so, yeah. Um, it's interesting you mentioned... You guys are going to have to slug this out in the shower later on <laughs> while you're trying to sing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lived up already. <laughs> uh, no, I think... Yeah, I think I think I don't think EFI ever really fell into that category, and I think that was one of the big things as to why they never properly landed with people. It's like they never actually. They were, they were quite goth. They were obviously quite gothy, but then they moved away from it very quickly, and they, they did kind of sit in that in between space, and then it kind of became an alt rock band, like we spoke about in the episode, and 
try to be 30 seconds to Mars when 30 seconds to Mars had moved on to be something else and I think I've always been a foot behind um, Okay, Any, anyone else? Or are we going on to the Nexus? You're welcome to ask anything or just generally criticise how badly we researched this Mm, good, that drew nothing. Okay, so it's Nexus time. Uh, as we said, Craig Carrick in Australia, of all places, guessed that Mark had 14 tattoos. Mark has 13 tattoos mm -hmm. uh, at last count. So, so he has chosen Angela Lansbury. We have to link to... Can we, uh, can we do the honours? There she is. There we go, Miss Angela Look at those Lansbury. eyes peering right into your sausage. So if you haven't heard skull. the Nexus before, we have to get from our chosen album to Angela Lansbury. So that's, uh, in my case, x the Hombre, in Mark's uh -huh. case, Newfound Glory by Newfound Glory, and in Dave's case, Pump Up the Volume cool. by Right, well, Nopics. I'll start then. Uh, so, did you know Fat Mike from NoFX uh, has started a new musical endeavour called... Uh, Koki the Clown. I did know that. Yeah. Uh, and he released a solo album this year entitled You're Welcome. I didn't know that. The album features uh, Travis Barker from Blink-182 and also Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses. So I'm sure that's a great record. I'm sure great. I can't wait for that. Uh, so Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses. Um, Guns N' Roses' best song is their cover of Paul McCartney's Live and Let Die. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. Live and Let <laughs> Oh no <laughs> <laughs> uh, Live and Let Die is the title track from the best James Bond film uh, Live and Let Die featuring <laughs> Roger Moore however I have heard rumours that people like Sean Connery more than Roger Moore uh, Sean Connery uh, appeared in Entrapment in the 90s with uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, that was quite a shit film, wasn't it? Yeah. It sounds like it. it was, there was a Scottish castle and I don't know, it was rubbish. Anyway, Catherine Zeta-Jones, uh, five years ago, appeared on stage in a theatre doing a play <laughs> with Angela Lansbury. <laughs> so that's, that's your link. Thanks. Efficient. <laughs> Right. Mark. Mine's Mark. even shorter than that. Fucking hell. Weirdly. Um, Newfound Glory have done three cover albums called From the Screen to Your Stereo. Um, on the second one, they covered um, Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds. Um, not written by Simple Minds. Not written by Simple Minds. Um, I don't think it was written for them either. I think it was written for somebody else and they declined it. And then Certainly wasn't written for Simple Minds. Yes. Um, the, the film that that was part of, or was written for, was The Breakfast Club, which starred Michael Anthony Hall. And Michael Anthony Hall was one of fucking loads of people that uh, starred in Murder, She Wrote, the lead actress of, what, of which... You guys are fucking rubbish at this. <laughs> I've got a swastika in mine. Some of us uh, just want to fucking do You always have a swastika in your... It's like, where's Wally? Like, Anytime do I do a Nexus, just spot the swastika. Yeah. It's an extra I can, see it, I can see the big swastika on his paper that I'm looking at right now. Um, so, Offspring, uh, the intro on the album Conspiracy of One is actually a sample from the Lost Concert by the Beach Boys from 1964. When we're ready to sing, we step up at the microphones and it comes out something like this. Uh, it's just like a very short <laughs> intro track. Um, on the 1969 album 2020 by the Beach Boys, there is a song called Never Learn Not to Love, uh, which was actually previously a B-side. Um, that track was originally written as uh, under the title Cease to Exist.
Um, and it was written by a Mr. Charles Manson. Uh, <laughs> that's where the swastika comes yeah. in. Um, uh, and he wrote it specifically for the Beach Boys, uh, and he gave it to Dennis Wilson, who's the original drummer, Brother O'Brien, uh, who had been hanging out with Charles Manson. Uh, this is in the year before the Manson murders. Um, yeah, so Charles Manson and some of the girls had been hanging out at uh, Dennis Wilson's Los Angeles home, which was apparently... Dennis Wilson was a total party boy at that time. Uh, the most... Uh, the most party boyist of all the Beach Boys. Really? Because, Mans- you know, Bang Wilson, holy shit. Yeah, well, uh, Manson supposedly uh, gave up his credit on that song uh, for some cash and a motorbike, but apparently flew into a rage with Dennis Wilson when it just. I don't know, one night when he realised that Dennis Wilson had al- he obviously changed the title, but he'd altered the lyrics and he'd also added the bridge to it. Um, and for altering the lyrics and therefore the fundamental meaning, Manson threatened him and Wilson apparently kicked the shit out of Charles Manson and physically threw him and the girls out of the house, never to return. Now, Bear in mind, by the way, Charles Manson killed nine people over, a, or his, the family killed nine people over a series of days. I think that film sort of made people think it was much more isolated than it was. Um, when the Manson family were living around LA, uh, buying drugs, things like that, um, various people came and went from the family. They lived on a movie set as well that had been used for various things, and they often stole money from the families of the people that were coming to stay with them. One of those young women was a, a girl called Deirdre who brought her mother's a credit card and the family ran up a whole bunch of bills on this credit card for things like, you know, I don't think you can buy drugs on a credit card, but you can buy other things and then exchange them. Uh, anyway, uh, Deirdre's full name was Deirdre Lansbury and her mum was Angela Lansbury. Oh, wow. you Mic drop. Quick. Uh, <laughs> well done. Well Great. Done. Um, okay, so... Well, I mean, um, I think that's a pretty good way to end. So, yeah, thank you very much for coming to this live podcast. You'll hear this online fairly soon once I edit it. And, yeah, get home safe. Yes. Yes.